Hello, welcome to T. Hanks for the Memories, a podcast about Tom Hanks. Uh, I am your host, Darren, and today we're going to be talking about Big. Today I have Ollie Brady. Hello, Ollie. Hey, Darren. And also joining me is Eric Hiltner. Hello, Eric. Hello, thanks for having me. Um, and then we get to, we arrive at what I'm going to guess is probably the scene that pretty much everybody knows. It's on the back of my DVD, so obviously. Um, and Josh decides to go to FAO Schwartz. Uh, to be honest with you, there's about two minutes of this that feels like it's just a big advert for F.O. Schwartz um, <laughs> in New York. And I'm almost certain like tons of kids probably only ever went to F.O. Schwartz because they saw it in big. And they were like, we've got to go to F.O. Schwartz um, for one particular reason, which obviously we'll get into in a very in a second. I'm delaying it because obviously, you know, we don't want to get there too soon. And I like how Josh is just basically, I mean, you know, if you're a kid and you're able to go to New York and go to like a giant toy shop, just start playing with all the toys. <laughs> That's what he does. Um, and he puts on like a laser tag thing that he's like this kid is like pl- just playing with him. Uh, I'm sure, you know, these days people would be like, what is that adult doing playing laser tag with a kid in the toy store? Um, but in this case, they don't. And when he gets shot, he does an over- overly dramatic death, ends up on the floor. And then when he opens his eye, Robert Lozier is standing over him. And he, I love the way he kind of just delivers that thing where he goes, don't you work for me? And it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not kind of like accusatory but it's just like he's kind of puzzled as to why this guy is doing like a dramatic death on the floor after playing some laser tag in the scene where he's doing the laser tag and he's, he's flipping around and he's acting like a, a a beached whale or whatever it is he's doing when he's dying you can hear some incidental people talking in the background that's clearly adults voices talking to their kids going don't look at him yeah <laughs> No, no, no. There's, there's something. Yeah. I think there's something wrong with him. And then somebody. There's definitely a dad's voice is like, "Oh, he's yeah. There's there's something wrong with that man." And then just like you can like totally imagine them ushering their kids as far away from possible from the guy. Like, I think it, it might it might even be when he's pretending to ride the horse. There's somebody like, "Don't look at that man." Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a there's a whole there's a whole load of like kind of him playing with various toys. That's you know again. It just it just works with the kind of physicality that Tom Hanks kind of can deliver. Um, that was him practicing for the the part as Woody. Um, he was prescient about where he yeah. was going to be in eight years. <laughs> yeah, um, and so of course he's now enc- encountered uh, you know Mister McMillan, and he starts like he starts kind of like talking in terms of like you know um, about certain toys. You know, he talks about this kind of like tabletop hockey thing that they changed the, the way it works and he doesn't know why. And then I like as well that, you know, McMillan gives, you know, he says that he's there because, you know, you can't you can't see this on a marketing report. And Tom Hanks delivery of just the words, what's a marketing report? And the fact that, he you know, McMillan thinks like he's kind of giving him some insight when he, in reality he just doesn't know what a marketing report is. But the way McMillan, like the way Robert Lozier plays it of like, yeah, what is a marketing? Like it's as if it's a revelation. It's just such a, it's such a great kind of interaction. Have you, have you guys ever seen the David Duchovny on... Um... On Jeopardy Cliff, where the the, the answer to the no, question is I what haven't. are frogs, and then in the background it's just David Duchovny goes, "What are frogs?" <laughs> and that's the way he delivers this one-hour marketing report. It's like one-hour marketing reports. I just I, I I just love it because obviously this is the point where Macmillan is you know they start talking about toys, they start wandering around the store, and they accidentally happen upon the giant piano, um, <laughs> and. On now, this is I mean, last time I watched this, which was a couple of weeks ago now, 
like this this scene literally like made me cry with joy because it is so mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful scene it's so perfect and just the way they kind of interact with each other and you know the way they kind of hold on certain like when they change from doing heart and soul into like chopsticks and just the, like the way the way that like Robert Lozier kind of walks up to the piano as Tom Hanks is like starting heart and soul and he they both like you know piano lessons and he's like yeah you know five years and all and just the way he just starts doing the kind of tune it's just so perfectly executed they deliver this it's this is Hanks and Lozier doing this from start to finish uh they had some they had some people on set who were gonna apparently do it like some stunt feet if you will um, who knew the song and obviously you know if they needed to kind of cut to the feet they were like well you know if you if you can't remember it these guys will kind of just come in and do it and that made them both be like no 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 we are going to do this <laughs> entire scene so from start to finish it is no, it, they did every single kind of shot and it is it's such a beautiful scene like the way because you know obviously we you know we could we could have them kind of talking about toys and you know and, and the insights that he has and all that kind of stuff but in the end like the thing that connects them is just you know both of them sharing something from their childhood you know they both had to do piano lessons and so they both know kind of like these basic songs and just the way that they they do like you know when they do the jumps between like the octaves and stuff it's just so like it's just so perfect and the thing is they don't hit every single note perfectly like there's a couple of times where they accidentally hit you know two notes or whatever mm-hmm. um but they just keep going and it, it just it just really works like it's none of neither of them stop to be like oh sorry i hit a wrong note they just they just instantly do the whole thing and yeah it's just it's such a beautiful scene it's like it's it's understandable why it's like you know one of the kind of trademark scenes from the film it's just because it's so so well directed and you know beautifully shot by Barry Sonnenfeld and just both of the guys are just really and like the crowd that kind of gathers around it's like it just everything seems like so perfectly executed because this is going to have to sell the fact that obviously the promotion is coming in the next scene and it really does like by the end of it you can see they've like bonded as like you know two people who have something in common from like their childhood obviously one of them is still a child and it's still <laughs> his childhood um but i i kind of i kind of i just love how this is the thing that connects him to to mr mcmillan is like just this kind of childlike joy of like doing this performance yeah i feel like that you know that scene still really holds up um and i feel like it's the kind of scene that you could show to a kid now for the first time without them knowing about it and they're going to enjoy it just as much as we did when we were that age you know it's 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 kind of transcendent in you know it's it's wonder it's so well counterpointed with mcmillan's interactions with the other people who work with him who like it's a corporate structure and mcmillan like as we learn later on he tells the story about how he saw like a little duck, there was this little duck toy for sale and he figured out that if you put a bevel on it, it would lean forward as it moved. So it would constantly move forward. And that's how, you know, that was his addition to a toy that then led to him becoming Macmillan of Macmillan and toys, right? And that's lovely. And you can see that he obviously was just like, I, I like toys. I was playing with toys. I was at making toys at some stage back in the past. And now he just happens to be looking at marketing reports and dealing with the kinds of people who know what a marketing report is. So for him to then suddenly meet Josh, who looks like the kind of person who should know what a marketing report is, but instead knows how to jump up and down on a piano and like smiling and laughing and is happy the entire time he's doing it. Like it's such a big difference for to have somebody like that. And you can see where Macmillan then goes, well, you're going to be my vice president in charge of product 
quality or whatever it is he his title is in the next scene and it makes it makes sense for him to go i'm going to i'm going to promote this guy well it's funny because he like he literally as the scene ends he goes uh what what do you do and he's like data entry and he just kind of laughs and it's like <laughs> it's like yeah that seems ridiculous that this guy who you know has so many insights into what's going on with toys today is in data entry uh, and then literally it like smash cuts to him like playing with like a remote control car in the office and bumping it into people and them getting annoyed and then being like, hey, it's an office. Like, <laughs> it's, and, then, and then, of course, yeah, we get we get the office title when they're in uh, Bob's office and John Hurd and like Elizabeth Perkins are like, you know, vice president in charge of product development. Like and they're complaining about like the size. No, sorry, it's Paul's office. But they're complaining about the fact that he's got Bob's office. And I, I like the Paul is like Bob's office is bigger than my office. And I just I love the kind of instantly the kind of corporate pettiness like it kind of rears its head um and yeah i just i mean i just love that and uh yeah and we also get a very quick kind of like we see that josh is on milk cartons um, so <laughs> i, love I that. like that that kind of keeps the thread of the story going yeah it's such a nice little detail that's another american thing because th- that didn't happen over here did it Darren? i don't remember missing kids being on milk no. cartons at any stage no we we just expected missing kids are dead we didn't yeah no we, we were just there going listen <laughs> Put them on a milk carton if you want, but go out and start digging up in the moors. That's where you'll find them. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's some but controversy about the milk cartons and their effectiveness. Um, they're actually, like, counterproductive in a weird way. Really? Like, as in the, the criminals yeah. would get spooked that people were getting close to them? Or? <laughs> I don't remember exactly what it was, but I, I feel like how... By the time they're able to get the kid on the milk cartons, um, I don't remember if it was like a certain time had passed, so yeah, like yeah, yeah. they wouldn't have looked, or they, or they wouldn't have been within the same region anymore. There's something about it, but there's a reason why they don't do them anymore in, in any manner. But they, I, I believe that they were counterproductive in um, their effectiveness. I should say there, there was a cutscene uh, in here around this time where... Uh, we see Susan in her office, and she's like testing. There's like a some a voice test for the for this doll. It's like one of those kind of talking dolls, um, and the guy kind of like records like some inappropriate stuff on one of the things where it's like um, I'm gonna kill you, Susan, and and then and then he's like only kidding, and then like you know I I don't know it's just kind of funny, um, you know uh, I should note as well as we go through the film. Um, you know, we start off with Susan in, you know, uh, typical kind of 80s uh, power suits. And then as the film goes on, she becomes like softer and she wears kind of more, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess like more feminine clothing as the as like kind of and becomes, um, you know, more uh, like as her kind of personality changes a little bit, you know, having worked with, with Josh. Uh, and I think that's an interesting, like, you probably don't notice it the first time you watch it, but by the time, you know, you watch it a few times, you know, her hair's kind of up and everything, and she's in these suits, and then by the end, you know, her hair is down, and she's wearing, like, dresses and stuff, and it's it's like almost, you know, she's, out of all the characters, she's the one who really has probably the kind of the biggest arc in the film. Yeah. Um, you know. At the beginning, she's she's basically female Paul, and by the end, she's female Josh. Yes. yes. That is a very good way of putting it. Uh, in a lot less words than I said. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and then, of course, we probably get the other scene that a lot of people remember from this film, uh, which is the toy meeting. Um, and it's probably one of my favourite scenes just because, like, the way, obviously, you know, 
you know, John Hurd will will play Paul as someone who gets angry all the time, and I love how this scene kind of you know the way that the that kind of Tom Hanks is at, is kind of acting in this is is the way that a child would act, um, and I like the kind of counterpoint between you know the fact that that Macmillan has basically given him carte blanche. He's like you know just play with toys and tell me what you think. And so obviously he's in this meeting to do that. But everyone else in the meeting is like, well, here's the reports that say this. And, you know, we, we think this is going to do really well. And, and they're doing all that. And then instantly, you know, we get like, because it's, it's about transforming buildings, which now to be fair to Paul, there are a lot of transformers that they aren't strictly buildings, but they had like, you know, hop, <laughs> you know, planets that they would transform. And so this is not unheard of. It's not unheard of to have something that transforms that is static. Darren, are you throwing secondhand shade at Unicron? Because you'd better not be. <laughs> We'd we be throwing hands by it. <laughs> but I'm, like, he's, a, he's a transforming planet. So obviously, like, you know, a planet, is, it's it's a stationary thing, like a building. Like it's, So it's not unheard of yeah, that, but, that things... But at least, it, at least with a planet, it's round. So it has more functions than just being a stationary thing like yeah. the buildings like it doesn't make any sense why we like transform the building <laughs> yeah see now you sound now you sound like Josh Baskin vice president <laughs> in charge of development uh, um, just my hands up here I don't get is, it <laughs> I love that it's, yeah, the way he does it's so good like yeah and also the fact that like Paul is like, well, here, here's the reports, blah 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 blah, and then, it, and then he he kind of shyly puts his hand up a second time, and then Paul is like, you don't have to put your hand up, like, I just love it the way he's kind of, and he's like, I still don't get it, and then this is obviously where Mister McMillan kind of steps in, and he's like, what don't you get? And then there's like a whole kind of big thing where he's he's talking about how you know buildings are boring, you know, and then he says, you know, what about bugs? And then, like literally, the entire meeting, people are, people start throwing suggestions out, and I like that all the other kind of corporate guys are all like, "Yeah, you know, no bugs. bugs," and they all start saying them. Now, this is despite the fact that obviously the Insecticons existed for two years before this film came out, so this is not a new idea. You're merely stealing something from Transformers, <laughs> the most popular transforming toy line. So, but I do like the way that, like, just his kind of suggestion and how it makes John Hurd so insanely mad. <laughs> and he gets like like as the meeting goes on he's like what is like he's completely confused as to what is happening and i just love how john hurd plays it uh r.i.p john hurd i mean it's just such a wonderful kind of like he's so opposite to to tom hanks's performance in this entire film and i just love the way that he it escalates throughout the meeting that he gets so annoyed by the end of it um but yeah john hurd is great in this film as well it should be said obviously you meant to hate his character but he's, he's, he plays it so well, um, you know. And it's kind of, at, at the start, it's understandable why Paul and Susan are t- kind of together, because it makes sense, because they're both kind of similar. But as the film goes on, it's it's easy to see why Susan is like, I'm, you know, I'm done with this. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm no longer going out with you, Paul. <laughs> with, uh, with, but yeah, it's, a, it's such a wonderful scene. Yeah, with John Hurd, I think if you say to people, picture a 1980s, sleazy corporate character and most of them are they're either going to picture him or they're going to picture the guy from Die Hard who pretends that he's John McClane's friend and ends up getting killed like uh, and like either of those two guys just scream sleazy 1980s 
businessman you know uh, it's all about suits and ties and and how we look as opposed to actually what we're doing or, or or what function we serve and the idea that that guy has been looking at marketing reports and doesn't get the concept that toys are meant to be fun because that's that's effectively <laughs> yeah. how he reacts when josh says like what's fun about that and his response is but we can get up to seven percent of the market but the, he's not answering the question <laughs> He's just talking about <laughs> figures and, and facts and, and numbers, etc. So, like, the idea that Josh would come in and just like, oh, I'm not even thinking about those. I'm thinking about playing with the toy. Like, that's it's so well juxtaposed between the two of them that you have one guy who's risen up through the ladder. Uh, you know, um, I think it's implied that he's he's worked hard to get to where he is and stabbed a few people in the back. And then Josh, has just been like, hey, I was jumping up and down the piano earlier, and now I'm a, <laughs> a, a junior vice president. Like, it's fantastic. And th- there are two outlooks on what toys should be. One about making money, one about making the child happy. Just it, It's a fantastic way of just shorthanding what the movie is about, childhood joy. And I love as well how at the end of the meeting, he kind of turns to Susan and he's like, this doesn't happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what is this? Like, what's going on? Like, he so doesn't understand. Um, and I, I, yeah, I also like the fact that, you know, we, as a viewer, we know that obviously Josh and Mr. McMillan have, you know, they've shared a moment. They've, they've, they've connected in a way that obviously probably John Hurd never has with, with Mr. McMillan. And that's, you know, that's probably like kind of something that, that he would never understand, you know, John Hurd. I understand why he kind of gave all this up and then, you know, moved out to the suburbs and then left his son in his house alone. I mean, it's understandable, isn't it? Uh, after this stress. Um, but yeah, I mean, John Hurd is so good in this film. Like, he, he has to be the villain and he has to kind of bring the anger. Um, and I think he, he really kind of, he kind of plays the role so perfectly. And then, of course, we get to the part that I'm sure every 12-year-old uh, I should say when 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 this film came out, I was eleven, so I was almost exactly the same age as as Josh. And when he gets his apartment, I'm like, this is just this is what every kid wants. It's like an apartment with fifty foot ceilings where they can put a trampoline in, and they can have their own bunk bed and fill it with vending machines and just like you know just have fun in like the space. Um, it's like the ultimate like jumping on the bed except it's a gigantic trampoline Um, but yeah I mean like the apartment is just this is like the bit that's kind of like I mean I I, I mean I don't know what he's making as a vice president but I'm guessing it's obviously a lot more than $187 (laughs) a week and that is why he's renting this place Uh, but yeah I mean this is like as a kid like my favourite part of this was just you know my favourite part of the film is obviously from the the kind of the keyboard to the meeting to this apartment stuff it's just it's like this is a perfect stretch of this film where yeah. everything is just fun um obviously somebody's going to come in and you know be a bit of a downer about all this uh but for the moment you know billy is happy uh you know he's enjoying the the, the apartment the same way that josh is they throw water balloons off the you know off the top of the thing uh, you know on these delivery guys uh, and obviously this is where over the over the top of this we get the voiceover of josh like writing a letter pretending you know, that he's himself who's been kidnapped. And so he talks about the kidnappers and says, you know, maybe they'll let me go soon and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think we cut briefly to Mercedes Rule getting the letter, don't we? And kind of reading yeah. it just to... She just know, sits down and, and, and she's um, reading through the letter. So um, the yeah. that house sold recently, or that apartment sold recently. Oh, that apartment. Yeah. Oh, how much did it go for? Uh, I think it was 2.6 million. 
And I remember <laughs> thinking that was Sounds that actually right. felt less than it should have. And then they were comparing oh, yeah. it to other apartments that had gone on sale recently. And the most expensive one from TV is the one from Gossip Girl. So whatever the main girl's house in Gossip Girl is. And I was thinking, why? It must yeah. be some apartment if it's you know worth more than this. So then they, there was a couple of pictures. I have never seen Gossip Girl. I don't know if you guys have seen Gossip Girl. Her apartment no, is a two-story bloody house in an apartment building. Like it doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Like it's got like uh, wide open staircases, and it went for thirteen point six million. Thirteen point six million. Like, and it's yeah. it's an apartment. Like it's a, it's a lovely apartment, but it's an apartment for thirteen point six million. I wonder how much the full I mean, house house went for. <laughs> a lot. And it. it yeah. The thing is, it isn't. It isn't this apartment, which is easily the funniest apartment on film. I mean, like those high ceilings are insane. Yeah, and and the like, lift opening just... right into the living room. I I've always oh, wanted yeah. that. Like that's just the coolest thing to me. <sighs> yeah, yeah. It's just like I wish I could live in this in this apartment. Um, and also, yeah, what I'm I love not... about the. Oh, go for it, Eric. Go ahead. Uh, I'm not I'm not much of an interior designer and when I've had to put my living spaces together myself they're usually pretty bad but his layout of that apartment made zero sense <laughs> and it drove me nuts just just had like the bunk bed in the middle of the room like not up against a wall or anything like that like just but he's 12 so what do you expect but yeah, also, that's that's what I love about it is it's the it's the interior design of a twelve year old. That's that's the thing. It's like if you were a twelve year old, what would you do? You put a gigantic trampoline in. You'd put you'd put bunk beds just in the middle of the room. You'd put a vending machine in. You'd you'd have yourself like a pinball machine. Like that's what a twelve year old would do uh, in nineteen eighty eight. So it works perfectly. It's just such a great uh, yeah. I just love and what I what I love about this scene is obviously it gives us the check in with Mercedes Rule. Um, and it also obviously, you know, uh, gives us a check in with um, with Billy as well. Uh, but it it establishes the apartment before we need the apartment for like a proper scene, uh, you know, which is obviously coming up very soon. And, you know, so I I kind of I kind of like that, you know, like that, you know, this this is kind of the it's an, it's a nice little setup because, you know, we're going to be coming back to this apartment pretty soon. And, you know, you kind of just have to, you know, you know, kind of just see it before you get there um you know and what i should mention as well is um uh in the role of of miss patterson uh the 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 secretary to to josh yeah is deborah joe rupp and it's kind of mm -hmm. it's like, like the first few times i don't think i really kind of recognized it but now it's like oh my god that's deborah joe rupp in the in this kind of tiny role um, and she obviously thinks that Josh is a bit strange and kind of like doesn't fully understand what's going on with his role and everything. But, you know, she always she's very helpful. And he always calls her Miss Patterson, which I love. Um, I just I just really like that. Like uh, and we there is a scene that's cut, which is the boys go to find a tux uh, before the party. Um, and I think there's a good reason why they cut that, because you really want the reveal. You don't you don't want the party and you know the kind of preamble of them trying to find a tux for him and stuff. Um, they don't show the tux in that scene, but still, it's a bit of like them looking at different tuxes. It doesn't it doesn't really move the thing along. Um, so I I mean you know again like every scene in this film is so great, but this party is just it's so funny because it's like it's set up as like a party where you've got all the you know the food and everything and it's 
you know, it's 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 clearly meant to be like a, a big deal. But you can tell that the people who go to this party go to it every year um, and they're just bored of it and they don't care about the party. Um, and then obviously Josh turns up wearing what I'm going to say is the greatest tuxedo in film history. <laughs> I mean, I'd really forgotten what that tuxedo looked like. Uh, you know, it's it's probably been 15 years since I'd seen the movie. And, you know, you know that it's a ridiculous white tuxedo, but you get that detail and it's almost like he's some sort of like mariachi band member. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was I, I when I, he came out with that, I just started laughing so loud because it was it was such a great tuxedo. What I love about the scene is the tuxedo is ridiculous and we laugh and McMillan laughs. Everybody else at the at the party thinks he looks like an idiot. And while he's doing his Josh things around the rest of the party, everybody else who sees him reacts appropriately to seeing an adult man do 12-year-old stuff <laughs> at the party. Like, there's a couple of times he, he, he sidles up to, like, eat salmon beside somebody. And he's eating it in such a messy, disgusting-looking way. And you can see them, like, almost gagging and turning. Like, walk away, walk away, walk away. <laughs> and it's like, that's how you would oh. react if a 12-year-old randomly walked into your proper corporate party. Yeah, uh, we do get we get a little like after Josh kind of like enters in this in this wonderful tux uh, along with it's got tails as well. That's the great thing as well. He's got the jacket on with the tails and everything. Miss um, Patterson has like a brief conversation with Macmillan where she's like she just doesn't you know she's like happy to be there and she, you know she likes you know thank you for having the party. She's like very kind of meek about it and he's like okay and then obviously you know he sees Josh and you know he starts laughing. Um, and then a bit of detail that was entirely Tom Hanks' own invention is uh, he eats the the kind of a mini like kind of corn on the cob, baby and corn. he eats it as if yeah he eats it as if it's proper full size <laughs> corn on the cob, and that was just something I, I... Tom Hanks did on set, and and apparently they were just like oh that's you know because he was trying to think of stuff that like a kid would do, and then he just like he just held it with both his hands is the is the is the selling point. It's just it's so great. I've I've always. Anytime I go to like a wedding or something where they have a big spread put out, I always look for like the little baby corn, <laughs> and it's never happened. And I like, you know, obviously you can get it in in like Chinese food or things like that more more common than really anything. Uh, but yeah, you just never see it anywhere, and it's kind of disappointing. <laughs> Eric, it's because you're not willing it into existence. If you show up in a white tux with tails. <laughs> The baby sweet corn would that's be it. there. That's the selling. Yeah, that's the selling point. Give me a reason, I'll, you know, I'll be there. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, he 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 decides to try some caviar. Susan like sidles up to him, and is like, you know, uh, Macmillan orders it in special. And obviously, he has the reaction that most people would have to eating some salty fish eggs, which is he kind of immediately <laughs> goes to spit it out <laughs> and then starts scraping his tongue because it tastes disgusting. Um, I don't think it does. I've only had caviar a couple of times in my life. I, it was not the stuff that is like thousands of pounds. But, you know, it's okay. It is a little bit salty. But, you know, if you're expecting it, then it's fine. But obviously, I don't think he realizes what he's about to eat. Uh, but again, it's just Tom Hanks kind of just sticking his tongue fully out. <laughs> just like kind of trying to get rid of the taste uh, that just kind of makes me laugh. Um, and, you know, obviously, Susan... I, I, you know, I think over... You know, she's she's softening up a little bit. But I like that she's kind of intrigued by Josh and kind of, you know, what he's about. Um, and obviously, you know, this this is where she, you know, she kind of... They get into, you know, she's like, 
they want to go up they want to go somewhere so obviously they get into the limo and again another scene that i'm sure everybody loves is um standing inside a limo and getting putting yourself through the kind of like sunroof thing um which again is extremely 12 year old and i I like that susan is like trying to have like an adult conversation with him in in this limo and he keeps um messing with the switches for the, the lock and the unlock and then you know as as she kind of keeps talk trying to talk to him um you know as an adult he just kind of decides that he's going to stand up and, and you know go out put himself outside of the um you know the kind of sunroof and i don't know it's like i mean i feel like in some films they kind of uh, this is one of those kind of things where they could like overplay like the kind of childlike wonder thing but i think tom hanks pulls it off so kind of perfectly that it just you know it just feels like it is the character um and obviously she doesn't understand how to react to this so eventually he kind of like makes her kind of come up um and and you know stand in in the sunroof and just kind of you know drive around the city um, and I'm sure everyone has wanted to do that. You know, next time I'm in New York, I will definitely hire a limo and stand outside outside the sunroof. Yeah, fly, uh, well, the, yeah. The detail that I really appreciated about that scene was uh, once they decided to go to his apartment and they just passed his apartment, the limo yeah. flies in reverse, <laughs> so you can get him out of there as quickly as possible. That really cracked me up. The um. I, I was yeah. watching it with uh, with a friend, and I, I said to her, "I was like, look at Josh's suit, but what do you think of her cocktail dress?" And um, because yeah. Elizabeth Perkins is wearing what effectively looks like a really tight bodice, and then like a poofy tutu style skirt, and uh, so Jackie, the, yeah. the, the friend I was watching it with, she she literally said straight out, she was like, if. To, anybody walked in wearing either of those into a party in 2021 <laughs> you're, they're both getting the same ridiculous reaction like it's just because it's a movie from the 80s and we're watching it and it's set in the 80s that you even accept that thing but she looks like she looks amazing because it's Elizabeth Perkins but the actual yeah. outfit she's wearing is no less ridiculous <laughs> in comparison to his it's just not you know as in your face ridiculous but uh, yeah, she she looks brilliant in this scene. But it's such a such a weird dress she's wearing. I mean, I like that dress, but that's maybe because I'm a child of the '80s and I was used to seeing like many women wearing poofy dresses at parties. So it's just like <laughs> it's like yeah, of course that's what they would wear. Like it just seems like that's you know that's the normal thing. That is that is what is considered in the '80s to be an extremely sexy outfit. Um, and so. You know, yeah, I love, I do love it, Eric. When like, you know, he's like, "Oh, we just passed my apartment," <laughs> and then suddenly, like, the, the, we see the limo instantly reversing, um, and then of course we get, I mean, you know, the kind of the chemistry. It should be said, you know, obviously the chemistry between Tom Hanks and Elizabeth Perkins is kind of amazing. Like, just the way that like he keeps kind of playing it as strictly a child, and she is is playing it on the level of like an adult who is flirting with another adult and they keep kind of miscommunicating but like like to like to both of them it still kind of makes sense um and like as he gets to like his apartment you know she's like she's talking about like how she you know she like he he says he says to her like you know obviously you know coming in and it's like and he's like you know i get to i get to be on top it's like my favorite line in the entire scene (laughs) like they're deciding like just the fact that she's like okay like you know she's she i just love it like the the kind of the way they both play it is so is so funny um and then of course you know he shows her around the apartment you know he uh, does he is this where he throws his socks at the machine and it it gives a a coke you want a coke uh, for free yeah which is such 
Yeah, I just I, and she doesn't even say yes or no. He just instantly like picks up these ball socks and just throws it. Um, which again, it's a nice callback to the stick ball as well. So you know, it's in there. Um, yeah, I just love I just love him kind of giving her the tour. And obviously, you know, I think I don't know. I don't know if she like. Obviously, she, you know, she takes until the end of the film to realize exactly what's going on. But I do kind of like how that she plays the bewilderment of like, like, what is this apartment? <laughs> like, what's going on in here? Like, but then all the toys around and stuff, you know, and all the balls that are on the trampoline. Like, it kind of, it's almost like it kind of makes sense that he has this insight, and the reason he has it is because you know, it's not just something he does in meetings. This is, you know, this is the way he kind of thinks about everything. Um, you know, so it's I, I don't know. It's I th- I love that, and then uh, you know, obviously my favorite thing in the entire world, something that obviously I've never had a chance to do myself, which is take a woman back to your fifty foot apartment and have a jump up and down on a trampoline, like in the middle of New York City. And I like as well how when he gets on the trampoline, he's like he he just says to her, he he, he goes, you know, just start to bounce on the tramp. Aline, like he, the way he shortens it and then realizes it sounds stupid, and then he adds the, you know, adds the extra word. It's such a, I, I don't know. This is why we love Tom Hanks because he just, it's just effortless the way he kind of does it, and he kind of inc- like the way he's like slowly encourages her, and he's like, you know, just jump up a couple of times, and she like does it, and then she immediately wants to get down, and he has to kind of like pull her back, and yeah, it's just, it's just such a great scene, especially when you know she kind of gets into it and starts enjoying herself and then we kind of cut to the outside and we just see this woman <laughs> bouncing up and down in this window and it's just such a I don't know it's just it's just a great shot like the way Penny Marshall does this entire scene is just so perfect um you know in that you you cuz you have to kind of understand why Susan starts to grow close to him and starts to kind of like him in this you know and kind of admire him in the same way that like Macmillan did um and and also then you know you you kind of have to understand why you know she she like you know has to break up with Paul basically um, because you know Paul is definitely not Josh. Y- your thoughts yeah. on on this scene, which of course ends with the seduction in the bunk beds, where he he mm-hmm. you know he gives her the ring, and it's just such a such a kind of it's like such a kid thing, but also it is so kind of charming, and particularly the way that like you know Susan kind of is just like in a you know in a a big t-shirt I think isn't it when she's in in bed and she keeps trying to kind yeah, of pose herself jet jersey yeah yeah and it's just it's just such a great thing because it's like you know she she obviously keeps thinking something's going to happen but the fact that he you know I guess from her point of view plays hard to get but he's not doing that he's just you know he's just a kid yeah even even when she's in the bottom bunk bed and he comes running at her to jump and he's like, I'm coming aboard or whatever. And then he just jumps onto the top bump bed. And her reaction of, what? Okay. Um, and it's brilliant. Um, I love I love him just kind of, when they're in the bunk beds, just suddenly appearing with the rings and then making her pick a hand. And she picks the wrong hand and then he kind of goes back up and then comes back down. And it's just, it's like, it's played so perfectly. Like, you know, if you weren't already charmed by Tom Hanks, then, you know, this scene kind of seals the deal. Uh, you know, he, and, and and as well, Elizabeth Perkins like playing the confusion is 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 so kind of perfect. Like just the fact that she's she doesn't quite understand what's going on, but at the same time, you know, maybe she's relieved that she doesn't have to you know indulge in anything with this guy. She's just like you know they can just kind of talk and and then you know she, he'll sleep on the top bunk, she'll sleep on the bottom bunk. That's it, you know, like that's that's the end of the scene. Um, but yeah, and then obviously Paul the villain of the piece uh he decides that he's going to test josh out by taking him to play some paddle ball 
um, you know, <laughs> at, like out in the open, uh, this kind of this outdoor paddleboard court. I don't know where this is. If it, I mean, this feels like something that should be indoors. Yeah, really. Those exist. Gonna... No, those those exist. Um, I, I, you know, I see them around Chicago. They don't get used a whole lot anymore because, you know, different generations would have used it. But they they have... we we have uh, handball alleys. So it, it's like, I, I don't know what paddle yeah. ball is. It looks like some sort of proto version of racquetball. But um, so you sometimes see it a lot in the state. I know people play handball over there, but handball is one of, it's an, it's an Irish sport. Like it's a national, one of our national sports. Like, and you can be driving anywhere in the country and just see what looks like three quarters of a house just there. Like, you'd be like oh, that must, that's a huge ruin. And it's not, it's a handball alley where there's one full complete wall and then three quarters of the other walls are, are taken away and people just go in and play them. And like, I've seen them in New York and I, I've seen them in other places in America as well, where they're just public handball alleys. And uh, again, never seen paddle ball anywhere other than this movie. Um, <laughs> it's so weird. Like, why not just use rackets? Like, what, what are you doing using what looks like child children's toys? Uh, you know, it's just, using a racket you're just making it go a lot further and you know with just a wooden paddle you can kind of control you know the distance oh, that makes sense it feels to me like this is a commentary on the fact that obviously you know he plays stickball not baseball when he's a you know an actual kid and here he's playing paddleball instead of something like squash which you know that's that's what uh according to the 80s that's what most corporate men play uh, is squash so it feels like because but also because obviously they work for a toy company it's probably something that's easy for them to get their hands on yeah uh, you know a paddleball set without much much problems uh, and of course uh, it breaks down because um paul explains the rules because and as with any game when you are the person who doesn't understand the rules uh, josh starts losing pretty quickly but then he actually kind of gets a point and Paul disagrees and says, no, you didn't. And then they start to kind of run around and fight on this paddleball court. And I kind of like how kind of quickly, uh, like, Tom Hanks is, like, Tom Hanks is pretty fast on his feet. And so he's he's able to get away from Paul pretty fast. And Paul is obviously a little bit slower. And I don't know, it's, it's kind of intensely comical how kind of quickly they are, you know, it descends into, like, fighting, basically. Um, and we get, a, we get a hard cut to Susan kind of, like, patching up josh and you know uh i like that this is kind of the moment where i'm you know i'm guessing this relationship was you know one that was based in fact something this this is something that paul implies you know based on on kind of mutual kind of helping each other out basically you know uh, like you know not saying that susan has slept away to the top or anything but obviously between the two of them you know it's advantageous for them to be in a relationship so they can help each other out um, and this is where kind of Susan like kind of instantly enters Paul's Paul's office and he's like, you know, here's some toiletries and you know this is it, it's over. And Paul's like, what? Um, and I like I like that the, the kind of the capper to the scene is you know when 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 he's like you know you're with Josh. Obviously she, you know he also lists off other people that she's had sex with in this company. I'm guessing not just in life. And you know she takes exception to one of the names being brought up which i think is quite funny but when when asked why is she with him um she of course says because he's a grown up and <laughs> i love it's, it's just one of it's just it's just a wonderful like use of dramatic irony that obviously out of everybody in this building he's definitely not the grown up um but yeah i mean you know it makes it makes sense that that, that this is the point at which they break up because you know 
Tom Hanks is goddamn charming. You you can't you can't sleep in the in the bunk bed below him and not think I need to be in a relationship with that man. Um, so I fully understand Susan's <laughs> instincts in this particular case, and the fact and the fact as well that he didn't pressure her into doing anything. It's probably got to be extremely refreshing from the sounds of the list that Paul puts together. Um, you know, off the top of his head. Um, you know, so like the fact that he he just was you know let her actually sleep rather than you know the other way of saying that they slept together. You know, it's, I'm sure she found that refreshing too. Um, and then, unfortunately, the film disgusts me with this, oh, I mean, this pizza thing. Come on, <laughs> fellas. Throwing the dough balls. Jesus Christ. I mean, I every time I'm like, this is this is easily the... Uh, this is just a terror. Stop doing that. <laughs> what, the, what is the guy doing? He catches the dough balls and he opens his mouth? Close your mouth. Stop doing that. I mean, you know... I just, I just, this is, this is, it's, I, you know, I love this film, but this is the one scene where I'm like, ugh, like, this is especially Josh's birthday in the it? current state of the world. Yeah, um. it is. Yeah, and they, you know, he goes out to this, uh, this pizza place with, um, you know, with Billy, uh, with Billy, and the the guy is like throwing the pizza all over the place, and and then you know people from the audience are throwing dough balls into his mouth, and he keeps like opening his mouth once he's caught them, and then he pretends to choke on one. And I'm just like, oh, it's. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's the pandemic me speaking, but it's just a little <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> like, all, I mean, like, it just it just completely puts me off. I mean, in some ways, I can understand why Josh kind of cuts cuts it short so that he can go and see Susan, because, you know, like after this, it's like, uh, you know, like pick a better place, Billy. I mean, you know, maybe you're entertained, but I don't know how you guys feel about throwing dough balls into somebody's mouth in the middle of a restaurant. It just seems unhygienic. No, the the dough balls are disgusting. But what I like about the scene is earlier, there's a scene where um, somebody's talking about 14-year-old boys and or 13-year-old boys, and all they want is a girl. Like, oh, all that they have in their mind is girls. They only, they only think about girls. And then this is Josh's 13th birthday. He goes out with Billy for the first part and he goes to this like disgusting pizza restaurant which they obviously think is the most fun thing ever and then when they're leaving Billy thinks that they're about to go do like a whole evening of cool fun stuff together and he blows him off because yeah. as soon as he turns 13 the first thing that's into his head is oh, I've got a girl and it's it's just a, it's a really really nicely played scene because Josh isn't doing it to be mean he's made plans with somebody oh, else no. and he's an adult but to Billy, this is like the worst possible betrayal. And then also, from Billy's point of view, he's after getting on a train and coming the whole way to New York. And like, so yes, Josh took him out for a lovely pizza dinner or whatever, and they got to hang out together. But like, surely you would think that you're going to spend the rest of your time with your friend and not, hey, good luck, go grab the bus home or go grab the train home. <clears throat> so it's a real, it's a real nice indicator that even though we know that Elizabeth Perkins is a nice lady and we know that he's getting on really well at work and stuff, from Billy's point of view, he's losing his friend because his friend is growing distant and away from him. And so I think it's it's like it's one of those subtle scenes in the movie which people forget. Like If you ask me about Big, I'm not going to remember the pizza scene in relation to you know dancing on the piano or jumping on the trampoline or... you know. Um, the Zoltar machine or anything like this here but I think it's one of the best scenes and the way it's played and the, the, the look of shock and almost resentment on Billy's face is, is really really well done and you know fortunately they go to a carnival um, and in the in the family fun edition it's a slightly longer they spend slightly longer at the carnival 
um, you know, kind of uh, playing a couple of games and stuff. And, you know, obviously now that he's newly an adult, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Billy kind of, uh, not Billy, sorry, Josh kind of takes advantage of that to like, you know, uh, kind of win tons of prizes. Um, and, you know, we get a really sweet scene where, um, you know, Elizabeth Perkins has some mustard on her face <laughs> and you know he he keeps trying to say where it is and she keeps trying to lick it off and she keeps kind of missing um and then eventually he kind of like you know kind of just wipes it off for her um and you know in I think I think it's a cut scene where they dance to some Glenn Miller and then they kiss um but obviously in the film I think that the the Glenn Miller stuff is missing um and you know they go back to her her apartment, and uh, originally uh, the, the scene where this happens, um, Susan was not meant to be wearing a bra. She was meant to just be wearing the shirt, and she opens it, and then Tom Hanks, uh, or the character of Josh, should I say, would then grope her. Uh, but you know they decided that maybe they don't want to turn this into an R-rated film, so. Uh, they kept a bra on her, but I do like the kind of the, the way Tom Hanks plays it, and I'm guessing this is the scene, obviously, where I don't think David Moscow uh, got to do a run through, uh, where he just kind of reaches out, and it's just like his fascination as this newly 13 year old, um, and obviously this is kind of the point where after this, they they're in a relationship, um, and you know, kind of like you know, Josh is you know basically taking on the role of being an actual adult instead of just, you know, doing that for the sake of the job while they wait for find out where the Zoltar machine is. Speaking of which, it turns out the Zoltar machine was at that carnival. Um, which I, which is a, it's a, it's a nice shot because it's like, it doesn't hammer it home, but it's like, you know, just kind of keep your mind on the fact that, oh yeah, Zoltar is out there and it's, you know, going from town to town or whatever. Um, and he gets to ride the roller coaster in that scene as well, which is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like the whole mm. the whole carnival thing is is fun. Um, you know, with the pair of them just kind of you know being adults at a carnival, enjoying themselves. Hmm. Um, you know, and obviously this will lead to the. I mean, I think the mustard scene is the start of the kind of the softening of of Susan as she kind of gradually, um, you know, becomes you know slightly less you know kind of eighties businesswoman. And starts to kind of turn into um, not a little girl, uh, although that was a rumored ending that she turns up in class. That she would become a, a little as a girl. Yeah, she would be. She would become little, and but then you know, obviously they kind of in the actual script they kind of say no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. But you know, that's for later on. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you know, I like I like how they kind of get close, and then of course to show that Josh is an adult, um, they're at like a dinner party, uh, all the rage in the eighties. And, uh, you know, this kid comes in and he's got problems with his math or whatever. And so Josh, being the kid that is, he kind of just goes to Susan, you know, stay here talking to the adults. I'll go and sort this kid out. And I just kind of love how he kind of gets up and he's just like, you know, I've got this. And then when he's, you know, we kind of see Susan come in with like the parents and obviously he's explaining how to do the math and kind of giving examples. And, you know, it's a nice moment that like obviously he understands how to do it because you know, he did it like last year or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. he, you know, he's just a kid. Um, but it's just a great way of like how, because he's in an adult body, like if he was just another kid, I don't think that kid would pay any attention. But because he's in an adult body, it like gives him a bit of authority. And so the kid kind of like listens to him. And, you know, it's just a nice little scene. 
Um, and then also, I feel like Susan is like picturing them having kids or something at some point in the future. Yeah, um, I, I read it as, uh, and it might not be actually in the text, but I read that the that that was her sister and her husband's family. I'm not sure why I read it that way. Maybe it's just they they look similar to each other. But I really got the vibe that the lady in the house, like the mother of the kid that Josh helps, is is Susan Perkins or Elizabeth Perkins' sister, Susan's sister, like, and that that's what like yeah. this was the first time that she brought somebody to one of their family dinners or <laughs> things that wasn't a complete douche monkey, like. So, yeah. uh, so yeah. she's like, oh, you, you you said he was fantastic, and he really is. And like you can see Elizabeth yeah. Perkins really starting to soften even more in that scene where she's looking at him going, Oh wait, like this this guy could be a, a serious proper contender for life partner here. We we cut to the, the, the there's a meeting, everyone's coming out, and you know, there's a proposal where somebody will get to plan a whole line of toys and everyone's excited. Um and you know, uh what I like about this, there is a cutscene where it kind of cuts to like Paul in his office. And he's like playing with some yo-yos, and he's basically like trying to be like Josh. Josh, <laughs> and and I I love I love that like obviously it's softening Susan, but also maybe it's you know it's maybe it's getting to Paul a little bit as well. Um, you know when Billy came around earlier in the film, you know to see his new office, but it was just filled with toys basically, and you know he was he was like you know what's your job and he's like you know they just give me toys and i play with them all day <laughs> and, it's like, and it's it's kind of, it's it's kind of like that's what paul is trying to do he's trying to but all he does is play with the yo-yo very briefly before someone comes in and interrupts him and then you know um and this is this is the point at which um uh billy gets the list um and then we see this kind of idea come about which uh we'll have to talk about because i don't i'm you know it it doesn't kind of i mean it sort of makes sense but the whole kind of like electronic comic book where you know you, it changes and you can it's basically like a choose your own adventure but it's done in a comic book and it's somehow electronic <laughs> and and the funny thing is like josh is kind of like saying oh yeah we can do this now but i'm thinking you know, like obviously now we can because we've got like you know mobile games or whatever. But it feels like this would have been a huge like. How big is this comic book going to be in 1988? Well, it be like, I I remember back back around then you had a lot of the handheld LCD video games that had like yeah. just the one game on it, and I feel like they. I mean, it probably would have been relatively expensive, but overall, I don't think it's really out of the question for them to have the technology to have done that. Like, I think that's actually something they could have done. Uh, maybe, yeah. But, I mean, when they start talking about price points, which they do later on, and they're talking, like, $60 and stuff, and it's like, comic books are 25 cents. <laughs> like... There's a reason why they're really successful. It's because they're very cheap. Like that's the whole, that's the point. That's why that's why one that is seventy years old is extremely collectible because they were mass produced and mass thrown away. So if you manage to preserve one, you know that was a rarity. Obviously less so these days. You know people pretty much just buy them to preserve them. So, um, but it's but just yeah. You I mean, had a whole I, bunch of different endings. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm I mean I I think the way it's proposed in the film it like it feels like it's going to be really clunky, um, but like they kind of work on the proposal and this is where Susan kind of ends up at the idea of like what's going on here and I like how Tom Hanks plays the whole like you know the comic book with the 
you know, the choices and the, the pages and the, like he's kind of demonstrating it. And she keeps, she's like, you know, what's going on here? And, and obviously he's not, you know, he's not seeing the fact that she's talking about the relationship, um, which I, uh, I just kind of like the way Tom Hanks plays it is like slightly confused and being like, well, you know, we're talking about the comic book that we're going to propose. <laughs> like, like, what are you talking about? Um, but yeah, I, I'm, you know, and you know, this is, I feel like it is the, uh, elephant in the room that needs to be addressed. Something which I don't know why, but you know, for some reason, in terms of pop culture, um, you know, big, kind of one of the main things that people end up talking about is the age difference um, between the characters. Although, obviously, I think Tom Hanks at this point in, is like 30, 31, 32. Um, and I think Elizabeth Perkins is roughly the same age. And so those are the two people who are having the relationship. But obviously in his mind is a 13 year old and some people get stuck on that idea and they can't get around the fact that this is a woman who engages in a sexual relationship with what some people deem a child uh, now that ignores the entire magical realism thing of this film where a child turns into a big man um, but some people just get stuck on that idea for some reason and it ends up being like one of the only things they talk about with regards to this film and it kind of annoys me because yeah, they're, I'm, you know, they clearly are engaged in some kind of sexual relationship, um, you know, because we've, we've seen the start of that at least. Um, but, and obviously later on, she will find out how old he is. Um, but it's like, it's two adult bodies. And I don't know, I, I, you know, to me, I don't care about it, but it seems to have dominated like any kind of discussion about this film, uh, which ignores the entire rest of the film, which is, you know, uh, an all-time classic. Um, so I don't know how you guys feel about this thing that annoys me, basically. <laughs> it's kind of like the same thing that happened with Back to the Future, when it's like, you know, you almost had sex with your mom, and that's what everybody talks about now in regards to that movie. It's, you know, someone had a hot take one time, and then everybody else thinks that they're really clever about bringing it up again. You know? Yeah. It's not like, it's not like... He's a he's a questionably legal aged kid. Like no, he's obviously a full grown man in this, and yeah, he yeah. may be acting childish, but otherwise, you have no indication that he's thirteen. I, the way I would look at it is, the the movie is wish fulfillment for a child, right? So everything that happens after he becomes big is the absolute best possible outcome for him in every single situation. Like, so Darren was talking about magical realism. But, like, if you take any 13-year-old boy, even right now, now, first of all, he's probably been looking at porn his phone for five years, right? Because that's what teenagers are at these days. But if you go up and say to a kid, what would you want to do? Oh, I want to have a ton of money. I want to be able to play with a ton of toys. I want to have whatever beautiful girlfriend that would be way out of my league regularly anyway. That's what I want. Like, these are all the things... That's what Josh gets in this. He gets a perfect house. He gets a perfect job. He has the perfect relationship with the boss in his job. And then he meets yeah. the perfect girl. Like, none of this is realistic. And yes, of course, he's a 13-year-old child, right? We get it. We know he's a 13-year-old kid. Tom Hanks is not a 13-year-old kid. If they had had David Moscow in that scene, then yes, that would be ridiculous. And obviously, we'd all look at it and go, this is a little bit like this is dodgy right if they were quantum leaping him for example right so for example like yeah. every time he looked in the mirror he saw tom hanks but the rest of the scene we saw him like that would be uncomfortable for everybody but elizabeth perkins character is not 
molesting a child. She's having sex with Tom Hanks. Also, just it's a 1980s movie. So I'm not certain they did have sex. And the reason I'm not certain is because I didn't hear about Chicka Wow Wow, which as we know is 1980s <laughs> shorthand for these two people just did it, right? But uh, what I'm getting at is it's a movie about wish fulfillment of a 13-year-old boy. And that's what a 13-year-old boy watching that movie would be, oh my God, oh my God, he got to touch a boob. Because what do we get to see? We get to see him touching a boob. The stuff where they're having a conversation over the dinner table afterwards, and she's like, what are we doing here? 13-year-old boys don't want that. 13-year-old boys don't want an actual conversation about whether or not we're in a real relationship. What they want to do is, let's talk about the cool comic book we're going to invent. Like, So all of that stuff and all of this looking back, like I'm not going to talk about woke culture. I'm not going to talk about reassessing stuff with 19 or, you know, 2021 eyes when we look back at a movie from the 1970s. That's not what this is. In 1988 or 87, when this movie came out, if they had had this actually be a child actor or a child in the scene, nobody was going to go, ah, that's acceptable. Sure, it's the 80s. Like, of course not. (laughs) <laughs> right so that's not the situation and looking back and and ignoring the fact that it's a 30 year old man in the actual scene is doing a disservice to the movie it like i can get it if somebody wants to make that argument there's tons of text on the screen for them to do that like we can they can sit and make that argument all they want but they it's not the intention of the scene it's not the intention no. of the author or the director it's nobody was implying that this was actually some sort of molestation that was taking place. I guarantee you they never thought about it beyond this is every 13-year-old's wildest dreams. Like, that could have been the tag to the movie. If you were, like, yeah, what, big, what every 13-year-old wants to be. Like, that's what it was. When I first saw that movie, I think I was 11 or 12, I wanted to be Josh Baskin. Like, this guy has it yeah. all, and I wanted to be him. And he has a secretary. Come on. Who didn't, as a 13-year-old, he didn't want a secretary. I mean, that was the the height of, you know, that's what every kid, I mean, we, you know, we spend so much time in the schoolyard talking about, oh, if I only had a secretary. Um, Yeah. (laughs) They could do my homework for a start. Imagine, imagine being Josh, having gone through all of this. You know, he goes out, he gets a job, gets big promotion right away, gets a girlfriend, you know, awesome apartment all this stuff and then you know he gets to be on the age when he's getting to you know being out on his own and you know he doesn't get that big promotion right away he's stuck put doing the data input he has a shitty apartment in a shitty part of town where people are getting killed and it's like you know he might have like a nice girlfriend but his expectations for the future are going to be severely out of whack (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, well yeah i mean yeah i mean we could get into that at the end because uh, some people did try to imagine what would happen after this. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we get a montage of, of Susan and Josh working on the idea, kind of coming up with what they're going to do. Uh, Billy keeps trying to contact Josh, um, you know, and he delivers the only F-bomb in the film, which I'm not going to say because I want to keep this clean for iTunes. Um, and, <laughs> you know, he kind of hangs up on him. And, you know, I we also get a moment here, you know, between Mercedes Rule and, uh, and Billy and, you know, they're kind of when because she goes up to his room and kind of hears the you know the uh, walkie-talkie come on and obviously you know the they're both, infinite batteries they're both there and yeah <laughs> with the batteries that never run out for or, seven weeks 
Yeah, and uh, and I just like this moment where they're both kind of like you know because she obviously she doesn't realize that Billy's you know in close contact with Josh, but he you know she's like you know waiting for him to come back. Interestingly, as well, they mentioned that the, the, like he has a, like a Pete Rose toy, um, which obviously <laughs> these days is a bit more kind of controversial, um, <laughs> given that Pete Pete Rose obviously uh, three time uh, appearance at WrestleMania, so you know. <laughs> Not, not bad that's, going. That's what he's well known for, yeah. Pete Rose did the WrestleMania. That is, guy. yeah. At this point, that's all people know Pete Rose for. He's been <laughs> tombstone by Kane for three consecutive WrestleManias. Uh, but yeah, and I like this kind of, you know, because obviously, uh, you know, Tom Hanks has been playing the kind of the childish version of this character, and gradually he has to show that he's maturing in some way. So obviously, you know, he helped the kid with the math, and then you see him kind of visiting his street. And his school with some kind of you know melancholic music, and um, and then going back to New York and seeing the World Trade Center, um, which is a cutscene, so not not in the film that most people know. Um, and at this point, like obviously, it's funny because when he sees like the school and he sees all these kids, nobody points over and goes, "Who is that creepy man who's just staring at all these children?" <laughs> um, but you know, when he when he returns to New York, he decides that he's going to confess to Susan, and you know, we are rapidly approaching the finale. Uh, because she doesn't believe him, you know, when he says, you know, I'm a child, she's like, yes, of course, you know, inside we're all children, and she, and she like, thinks he's talking metaphorically, and he keeps trying to say, literally, I am a child, and she just doesn't believe him, um, and they kind of fall out, um, and there's an interesting cutscene where, you know, they go to, like, a, like, a newsstand, and this kid is trying to reach for, like, a comic book or something, or am I remembering this out of sequence? I think I'm remembering this out of sequence, um, but, you know, like they, they basically kind of, you know, are working on this idea and kind of talking it out. And the, But you can tell things have kind of got a bit chilly between the two of them. Um, and, you know, they're getting ready to kind of do the, the kind of presentation. Um, and, you know, like after the argument, she there is a cutscene where she kind of goes in his wallet and finds the Zoltar card and then kind of, you know, believes him a little bit. And that's this is where she tests him by asking him to get some gum. And he, you know, he doesn't get like normal chewing gum. Um, and then, you know, that's when they kind of, they, 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 they've basically got their suitcases and they're ready to do the presentation. Um, and, you know, the presentation gives Paul the chance to get his revenge um, on the man who has taken his lover. And he does this by, after the whole presentation is done, and they explain, you know, this is how it works. It's a comic book. It's got different pages. They're electronic. They come up. There's different endings. And then they start explaining the price points. You know, it cost about $20. We'll retail it for 40 The new stories would be like 10 whatever. Like They explain the whole thing. And then at the very end, Paul just goes, I don't get it. And, I'm, you know, obviously, we hate John Hurd for being the villain. But you've got to admit, it's it's a really funny kind of like it, turnaround. It's really <laughs> funny. Like, except, yeah, yeah. except, he puts up his hand and says, I don't get it. Everybody else in the room gets it. Right, like everyone else is like, yeah. yeah, this is great. Like Macmillan is on board with this. Like he's about to fall off oh, his chair. He he's it. so excited. And when John Heard goes, yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, we get it. Like, lovely, you're sticking the knife in like you think he stuck the knife into you. <laughs> but you're also not getting the thing which is intuitively obvious to everybody else that this, <laughs> if they can make it, will make the company millions. And he's like, I don't get it. Which, which bit do you not get? The bit about making money? Um, because that's what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. 
I mean, obviously, we know why he's doing it, and it's a funny callback. But yeah, it makes no sense because their presentation was extremely detailed and explained everything. <laughs> so uh, people obviously understand it's sour grapes. It's like, come on, Paul. She's she's left you for him. You know, just you know, be a man. You know, be the adult <laughs> in the room, if you will. Um, unlike unlike Josh, who suddenly kind of just leaves, and then Susan kind <laughs> of, I think, she's like, huh. And then she kind of, I mean, the presentation's over, so, um, but I do kind of like how she kind of follows him, and it, it's kind of almost like she's realising, actually, what he said the other night when he said, I'm a child, it makes sense, because the way he gave the presentation is like, you know, it, it feels like a child, kind of like explaining why it would appeal to a child. Yeah, and he um, leaves and because, so, uh, because Billy reminded him that his mum would miss him, effectively, like yeah. he shows up to give him the list, and he's like your mom has taken this so hard. Like she's, she's broken. She's, she's upset. And like, that's when he starts doing his down memory lane walk and, you know, looking vaguely yeah. creepy at random strangers, kids. Like, so like it, it's, so it's, as I said, as I mentioned at the start, like Billy's the real heart of the movie. And he, like, if it wasn't for Billy, Tom Hanks character probably would have continued on and, you know, lived a, a long, happy life, you know, probably living till exactly the same age as Elizabeth Perkins, because he's, he starts out younger than she does. Yeah. Um, and so, well, yeah, now this is obviously, you know, the information of where Zoltar is has been given to Josh. It's at Seapoint Park. And so he heads there. And then, um, you know, Susan comes out of the building and she bumps into Billy. And then Billy explains where he's going. And so they they end up at uh, at, the, at this particular, you know, it's she just gets a bit, there just it's after this bit him. where Billy goes, nice, when, when he asks if she's yeah, his her yeah. girlfriend. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, he like he approves of it. So I'm sure when when he's no longer big, they will talk a lot about what was going on there. Um, we see we see Josh. He unplugs the machine and he wants to be a kid again. And then of course Susan turns up just after that, and you know, she, like she, he she realizes that obviously he's made this wish, and she kind of understands that actually you know he he is a kid. Um, and, you know, it's obviously too late. And he explains, you know, he says Susan is the only reason for him to stay. Um, but, you know, he's he's missing his family and everything. So um, and I, I kind of love that. I like that. I like that he's, you know, he basically is saying to her, look, you know, the only reason I want to remain like this is because of you. You know, you're the reason. But there's tons more reasons for me to go back to being a kid and kind of live out the rest of my life, you know, Um and, uh, you know, it's it's nice that she kind of just drives him home and is like, she just accepts it. Yeah. Um, and that's the know, scene where she it. says, um, I've already lived through that once and I don't want to do yeah, it again. This is where, yeah, yeah he, he's like, go back to Zoltar and make the wish yourself. And she's like, no, <laughs> she's like, no thank you. <laughs> the, there's I'm another... 30 years old. I already did. You know, <laughs> there's another lovely bit of. I don't need to do it again. Incidental, almost background dialogue when the taxi pulls up. And I'm not sure if it's in the main reads, but it's in the verse I watched. And it was the first time I, I paid attention to it. But the, the taxi driver, as he's paying for it, goes, mm, it's very hard to get a taxi out of here. Um, <laughs> and, and like, obviously, clearly waiting for him to say, wait for me. Or, you know, leaves a tab running or whatever, and I'll get you. But, like, then slowly yeah. drives away. And, I, like, if not for Susan coming up, that's a good point. What are the chances he's getting a taxi out of Seapoint Park? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and of course there's a bit of conversation between the two where, you know, he's like, you know, what about later on, you know, once I'm your age, <laughs> how would you feel about that? You know, like, if I end up growing up and looking like Tom Hanks, 
Um, you know, and of course she says, you know, ten years time, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so, but she so, she asks him, uh, how, yeah. how old are you? Seventeen? Sixteen? Yeah. Fifteen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the answer is she would be willing to have sex with the twenty-three-year-old version of Tom Hanks. <laughs> That's 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 the limit, basically. Get in like, line, Elizabeth Perkins. Get in line. <laughs> yeah, when she well, yeah. I mean, come on, twenty three. I mean, if you've seen Tom Hanks when he was twenty three, he was a catch, you know. <laughs> um, and obviously, at that point, at that point, you'll be what, like, f- I don't know, forty three. How? I mean, you know, I don't want to say, uh, you know, I, uh, Elizabeth Perkins even these days looks particularly nice. So, but you know, it, like in Hollywood, by the time you hit forty three. I'm sorry, Elizabeth, but you you would not be you would not be in the film with a, a 23 year old Tom Hanks. Um, but yeah, I you know this kind of this this kind of breakup is kind of sweet, and there is something that um, that she she made a choice in this particular point because obviously just before he leaves, she go like he kind of goes to kiss her, and she kisses him on the head, and apparently in the script it was that they would kiss. And Elizabeth Perkins was like, "No, no, I know he's a thirty-year-old boy now. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna kiss him again. I'm gonna kiss him on the forehead." And I, you know, it's a nice little moment. Um, and obviously, you know, as he gets out of the car, he kind of like starts to walk away. Um, and then it cuts back to her, and then it cuts to a um, a Josh in a like kind of in in the suit, with, which now doesn't fit because obviously he's now turned back into David Moscow. Um, and I like as well, we get like a little bit of like kind of um, off screen Mercedes rule as he kind of comes back into the pro- into the house and she kind of like starts, you know, kind of like uh, welcoming him, welcome him back and kind of, um, you know, obviously being happy that he is, uh, you know, he's 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 there. Um, and, you know, the film ends with um, with some heart and soul, um, mm. you know, with Josh and Billy hanging out again and, and everything is back to how it was. Um, you know, we'll never know if that electronic comic book thing ever made it. Uh, you know, it's we, we don't find anything out about that. Um, so we need at this point to go to judgments. And obviously, um, in this particular podcast, we only have two judgments and they are T Hanks or no T Hanks. And I feel like everybody in the world is on the same page when it comes to this film in terms of a judgment. Uh, definitely T Hanks. Uh, I'm I'm definitely a T Hanks on this one, um, and obviously you know yeah. what happens if you have a very big secret. Maybe the taglines about Elizabeth Perkins. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> her, her big yeah. secret is something she's never going to reveal to anybody. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, and obviously T Hanks for me. I mean, you know, this is. I mean, we when I was a kid, we like we. I mean, we you know we knew about this film. We rented it. Um, and then I think we kind of just went back like five or six times and just kept renting it, just paying for like another week because we were just watching it all the time. It was like just it's just one of those films. And I think, you know, I mean, what's weird is it's like rated 12, which I can kind of understand because there is a bit of, um, of of groping in it. But uh, <laughs> there's only one F-bomb. So, I mean, yeah. but, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, it's rated 12 and he starts the film as 12. So it makes sense that 12 year olds would would enjoy this film. But, yeah, I just remember as a kid just loving this film so much. And just, you know, I I would routinely just watch from, you know, where he plays heart and soul to him being in the apartment, like jumping on the trampoline with uh, <laughs> with Elizabeth Perkins. Like I would just watch that stretch of the film and then just kind of rewind it and watch it again because I just love all that stuff. Like it's just such a, you know, and the performance, you know, from everybody in this film is so great. Like, um, you know, just like every single character just, you know, they feel like fully formed. Um, you know, and although you end up hating like John Hurd and stuff, like like it's because he's playing that role so well and kind of you know, it just kind of like really getting into the part. So yeah, it's just it's like it's such a it's such a great kind of film. 
Uh, and weirdly enough, I thought personally, these are the films came out after this, inspired by Big. Uh, but Big was actually the final film of this weird run that happened from 87 to 88, because Big came out on the 3rd of June, 1988. Previous to this, we had Like Father, Like Son, hmm. uh, Vice Versa, 18 again, which I've never seen. I've seen the other two, uh, Like Father, Like Son and Vice Versa. I've seen them a ton of times. Um, 18 again with George Burns, which I've never seen. And then there was a film called 14 Going on 30, uh, which came out like a couple of weeks before Big did. <laughs> so, like, the whole premise of, like, kids like body swapping or I don't know, like obviously Freaky Friday was kind of the first to do this, but this isn't really a body swap thing. I know, you know, this is just, uh, you know, one person kind of getting older, uh, which is the opposite of the film 17 again, which stars, uh, Matthew Perry. who gets <laughs> Yeah. Younger, we, we, he goes like, the opposite direction. Can we really say it stars Matthew Perry? Uh, <laughs> Zac Efron movie. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess it stars him in the same way that this film stars David Mosca. Yeah. Um, um, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't know, realize like, this, this, the concept is uh, yeah 18 again you'd mentioned it right I didn't realize that was a movie in the 80s I, when I, I saw somebody talk about it recently on Facebook and they're like 18 again and I genuinely thought that that was going to be a sequel to 17 again like as in Zac Efron is going to have <laughs> like a movie called 18 again and it's going to be a sequel to that Um, I also so obviously we had 13 going on 30 at some stage, yes. uh, like what, fifteen years ago, and I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize that. Like, I'm assuming that must be a, a remake of fourteen going on thirty or whatever it was, like the movie you mentioned. No, there I think thirteen ago. going on thirty is like a is like a its own thing because like the concept of thirteen going on thirty is she goes into the future and like basically time travels, doesn't she, to her thirty she, year old self? That I, she, she's effectively it's effectively big. Like it's a it's such a weird movie. Yeah. Um and it does feature uh, a bit of Joel song, so I mean I highly recommend. It's got got Vienna. Well I mean it also it also it also features Mark two Ruffalo. Avengers be- Yeah. Well and also Brie Larson is one of the uh the, the the chicks the young girls is she um, I did not know like, that yeah 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 she is um, yeah yeah she is yeah and Ant Man's um, wife is and also um, yes uh, but also also the girl who plays the thirteen year old in that film is now thirty so, <laughs> so oh yeah so it's seventeen years ago wow yeah no I think she was a little older than than thirteen when she did it but yeah she it was funny because she like tweeted something out like you know last year where she's like if you want to feel old. The girl from thirteen going on thirty is now thirty. That's crazy. And, uh, I was like, that's quite funny. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I'm you know like this. It's weird because like this was the end of that trend. Like Big was the last of those films to come out, and you know most of them made like a bit of money. Uh, and like I said, I've you know I've seen like Father Like Son, and I think I've seen Vice Versa the most because I think when I was younger I was a big like Judge Reinhold fan. Um, so was it yeah, one of the Corey's Corey Haim? Uh, is, I think is he's the young, like Father yeah. Like Son, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the like the kind of the whole Freaky Friday thing of people swapping bodies isn't really what Big is doing. But you know, it kind of always gets lumped in in that kind of trend. Um, so, but I feel like we have um, probably said about as much as any people are ever going to say about the film Big. Um, good luck, other podcasts. We have talked about it uh, until the cows have come home, and so this is the time where we should go to plug. So I'm going to start with Ollie. Is there anything that you wish to plug at this point, Ollie? No, I don't really do any podcasts anymore or anything like this. I, I do guests, but I uh, listened to Knives Out Minute. I, I did a five minute stint with Darren on that. It was fantastic. Uh, and at some stage, maybe by the time this comes out, we'll be 
doing a special on Brick, uh, Ryan Johnson's first movie in it, or one of his first movies, and it's fantastic. Uh, but since you you're doing T Hanks for the memories, and we might do like uh, leaving your mark at some stage. Um, I might think of some other moves you could do. So uh, at some stage, if you look up a podcast called Cruising for Cruise, that could be me talking about uh, Tom Cruise <laughs> movies. Um, you could log on for Loja, and that's me going through Robert Loja's <laughs> uh, back catalogue. Uh, let me see who else we could go for. Um, uh, Have the, you heard a podcast about John Hearn? Uh, that, that could be very good. Uh, Mining the Rock. And that's going through all of his movies. Um, let me see. Uh, now you're cooking with Vin Diesel. Uh, and we can go through the Vin Diesel movies. <laughs> we'll come up with some other ones. Um, Chris Evans. Nah, I'm not going to bother. And Eric, do you, you have to mention your, your, your literary publications? No, Eric, you remind me of this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I rem- I'm aware, you still have one of those in your house somewhere. So like, that's not... I think I can probably see it right now, actually. Uh, yeah, there's some books out there with short stories that I wrote in them. Um, one of them is quite the risky little story, but we don't talk about that. From what I'm told, it's the best in the book. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> and Eric, do you have anything that you wish to plug other than Ollie's books? <laughs> no, no, I don't. That's that's really about it. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at the extremely awkward t underscore ft memory. Uh, just you know, t hangs from the memory just didn't fit on the uh, on the handle, so unfortunately, I've had to go with that. Um, and so, thanks to both of you for being my guest here today, uh, Eric and Ollie. Thanks, thanks brilliant. It was brilliant, yeah. And uh, fellas, you know, there were a lot of jokes in this film that are quite funny, but I don't think any of them had a really great a punchline. Oh, all the dreams